0: This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Ghanam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have uh, quite a busy show today. There's a lot going on. Just to summarize for our listeners who are keeping track, at our location in Northern California where we've been broadcasting Arab Talk, the pandemic, as all of our listeners and viewers may know, is raging out of control. We are essentially in lockdown mode in Northern California and the entire state because the ICU bed capacity in California has dropped essentially below 15%. We're entering an incredibly dangerous crisis state right now for COVID-19, Jamal. And unfortunately, I have bad news that in many parts of California, we may be on the verge of a collapse of the healthcare infrastructure as we know it. The next few months are going to be dark. They're going to be very dangerous. We encourage all of our viewers and listeners, wherever you are in the world, please wear a mask. Please be careful, because even though the vaccines are out, it's still going to be a rough couple of months. In spite of that, we still have a lot of news, Jamal. And as we spoke about last week, uh, despite all the chaos in the United States with the transition from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, the Israelis continue, and Jared Kushner, continue to be up to attempting to redraw yet again the political uh, and now, to some extent, the geographical map of of the Middle East and North Africa. We have breaking news on Morocco and the Israelis establishing or attempting to establish some diplomatic ties and normalization of relations in exchange for a very dirty deal of the United States supporting Morocco's claim to uh, the Western Sahara. And then ongoing atrocities obviously continuing to go on in occupied Palestine, Jamal, with the Israelis continuing to shoot and kill and maim children in Palestine. It's been a very busy time.
1: That's right, Jess. We have a lot to talk about, and we're focusing this uh, show today. We're going to be talking about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, uh, mostly, but starting with the breaking news. As you've said, Israel and Morocco have agreed to normalize relations. This is according to a tweet by President Donald Trump and then followed by a statement uh, today And as part of the deal announced, uh, basically, uh, the United States will recognize Morocco's claim over the the disputed Western Sahara region. This is something that Morocco has been trying to achieve for uh, many years. Long time. And and this is not a big surprise. Morocco has, for years, had informal ties with Israel. They actually established just interim peace accords uh, I'm sorry, they, they, they established low-level diplomatic relations uh, during the 1990s following Israel's uh, interim uh, peace accords with the right. Palestinians. But uh, then those ties were severed uh, or suspended after the outbreak of the Second uh, Intifada, Second Palestinian Intifada in 2000. So already uh, Israel has had uh, relations. And um, if anything, to tell you the truth, this will be the most meaningful relationship between Israel and an Arab state, because right. Israel has a very high number uh, of uh, Jewish pop- population population who originated right. from Morocco. And still right. has uh, also a Jewish population. So so also in, in Tunisia. And so Israel has had, um, you know, backdoor relationship even before the Palestinians started talking to the Israelis. But uh, this kind of like uh, seals the deal because the king wants that recognition. recognition. He's playing the same Israeli game, okay? Which is... Basically, anointing that the United States States is the only empire in the entire world and can dictate and can grab land and whatever. Just like with the Israelis, all that they needed was for the for Donald Trump to say, "Oh, you can now annex the Golan Heights," right?
0: Right. And
1: so, and the same thing, telling uh, Pompeo, you know, slash. Trump slash Kushner, etc., saying that you can now annex the land in the West Bank. So he he's, he's seeing this that, oh, well, I don't need the United Nations. I don't need uh, the rest of the world. I don't need, uh, you know, close to 200 countries in the world to recognize me. But if the United States says, says you can do it, I
0: can do it. Well, here's, the, here's one of the problems, Jamal. It it will be now that the United States is the only Western country that will support and acknowledge Morocco's claim of the Western Sahara. No other major Western power or country acknowledges uh, Morocco's claim over the Western Sahara. There are large indigenous communities in the Western Sahara, Jamal, which have been you know fighting for for a very long time for decades and decades and decades for their own independence separate from uh the kingdom of Morocco so the united states yet again will be bucking a trend to go against uh the general diplomatic trends of of the of 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 western dip- diplomacy the other thing that's kind of a big deal jamal is that uh Morocco will agree to let Israeli airplanes fly over Moroccan airspace. And also, they're going to start opening up direct flights between uh, the Lid Airport and, uh, I believe, Rabat, if I'm not incorrect. Yeah, they're uh,
1: going to have uh, uh, direct flights. But I want to comment on something you said, uh, that the United States is the only Western country, but that won't be for long. I mean, that's, the, that's what they're banking on, that the EU will follow, other countries will follow, and then, of course, other countries uh, beholden to the United States' diplomacy uh, will follow. But what's more important, you said something, the United States, which many people don't know, has the largest CIA base, just right outside Tangier, not too far right. from Tangier, actually, um, um, about, I would say, 40 minutes um, you know, from Tangier. This is uh, a military zone. You cannot even drive by it. You cannot take pictures by it. it has all, it's all fenced in. It has been right. there for years. This is the largest listening post to entire Africa. Right. That's all. That's that's uh, that's that's. I've actually seen this the base from a distance many many years ago, and was told you can't go that route. You know, as I was traveling outside uh, Tangier, and there is a small town called Asila. There, it's not too far from Asila. So basically, the Israeli Mossad will be operating right out of that base to the rest of Africa. I mean, it'll be a collaboration. So this is really a very major strategic move aside from everything else. uh, But it looks right on kind of, uh, okay, the diplomatic relations, the commercial relations, etc. But this is a real strategic foothold. For For the Americans and the Israelis. Well, the Americans already have that for the Israelis to have in northern Africa. If you're in Morocco, you cover Tunisia, you cover Algeria, you cover all all of North Africa and south of that. And that's why the United States has this. And as you know, that's also not too far Tangier. Tangier is a very short ride by ferry. To Spain and to the rest of Europe, it's a very, very strategic point, and, and sure. this is a point that but gives you access to the not only Africa but also the Mediterranean the and the Atlantic.
0: Okay, so here's the question to to chew on a little bit, Jamal, because um, in in diplomatic uh, history, in terms of the United States transitioning from one administration to another. Big diplomatic decisions like this are never taken after an election, before an inauguration. Of course, the Trump administration is going to completely flaunt this, especially if they're, as they're trying to do and as they've done, tried to cut as many deals for the Israelis as possible during this interim period. My question to you, and maybe for a little discussion, will Joe Biden support this, or will he try to uh, upend or uh, annul or change or modify this agreement that the Trump administration has curried between the Israelis and the Moroccans? He's not going to do anything. Once, the, once this
1: becomes fait accompli, uh, he's not going to reverse it because he's he's going to say well this is great for peace we want more arab countries to have peace with israel so this so the- is this is not against it's never been against uh joe biden's uh diplomacy or the obama at the time or anyone else it just wasn't made possible because you didn't have those two uh, I would say heads communicating on the same frequency. Uh, one in the White House, Donald Trump, and and sure. Benjamin Netanyahu. So but even the, uh, Obama
0: had his had his differences with uh, Netanyahu. Sure, but here's the difference, Jamal. Under Obama and when previous administrations, because this quid pro quo to give up Western Sahara to Morocco in exchange for diplomatic relations with the Israelis has been on the table for a long time. No previous American administration was willing to throw the Western Sahara under the bus to Morocco in exchange for relations between Israel and Morocco. So the question, just to refine it diplomatically, and, and, and you know, Biden has to deal with a progressive flank now within his administration. So the question, and and, you know, there are progressive elements within the Democratic Party who are completely against this. So you're basically saying, even though this is going to upend some of the fragile relations with the progressive elements of the Democratic Party and the Biden administration, he too will throw uh, Western Sahara under the bus for this.
1: Yeah, I don't see any other way for Joe Biden, including, for example, people are hopeful that he will... uh, For one thing, I think the most egregious thing is annulling the annexation of the Golan Heights. I don't think he'll do that. Uh, The other thing, moving the uh, embassy into Jerusalem. I don't think he'll send it... He'll move it back to Tel Aviv. They've already said what they were going to do, meaning the uh, Biden, uh, Biden-Harris administration, they've said that they will reinvigorate the consulate, because the consulate, you know, before you had the right. embassy in Tel Aviv right. and you had in Jerusalem the consulate that took uh, care of uh, Palestinian affairs, uh, American citizens, uh, Palestinian-American citizens others, uh, outside, uh, right from Jerusalem, and now they have downgraded it to a uh, an office. I forgot, a, a, right. a consular, right. something like, just to take care of visas and, and what have you. They'll upgrade it, they'll bring it back, because we've always had the consulate there for ages, the United States. Something like this they'll do, but they won't reverse, for example, moving the embassy back. I don't think they're going to reverse any of these uh, agreements. Maybe they are not going to push for further, uh, you know, uh, uh, basically undermining the Palestinian Authority, because all these things are kind of circumventing the Palestinian Authority, which we will be talking about it uh, soon. Right.
0: I, I, I don't believe that Biden will, as a person, because he has said loudly, you don't have to be Jewish to be a Zionist. He is as pro-israeli as you can get in the democratic party really he is and he doesn't have the nuanced appreciation for the long-standing uh oppression and occupation of palestinian land for over 72 years he just doesn't but there are these more progressive elements within the democratic party that have been mildly irritated with some of his picks so far for cabinet positions and for high level uh uh you know, positions within his administration. Kamala Harris has been surprisingly quiet about all of these moves having to do with Israel and the Trump administration, uh, which we will will have plenty to talk about over the next four years, I'm sure. I think it's fair to say that, you know, this is full steam ahead for the Kushner-Trump uh, kind of uh, diplomatic efforts to enhance uh, the Israeli um, strategic reach into the Arab world and to normalize relations. But it will cost Biden a lot within the Democratic Party and within the progressive elements of the Democratic Party. We'll see how it unfolds over the next four years.
1: That's right. And remember, uh, just one final thing about Morocco, the king of Morocco is very close to the king of, uh, well, actually, uh, the crown prince, uh, M- uh, Mohammed bin Salman. And he would not have have done this move without uh, his approval, and, yeah. and that's kind of the role Saudi Arabia plays uh, in the region. And remember, the normalization idea is now kind of—it's not a strange thing that that eventually it will happen because the Arabs at the at the Arab League, they've accepted King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia, the late King Abdullah's proposition which was total normalization meaning all right. arab countries all 22 arab countries and some muslim countries will normalize relations eventually with israel as long as israel uh, you know pulls out of the west bank and honors resolution 242 etc well, right. so that was the basis so now what happens right. what's what they're doing basically trump and kushner They are putting the horse, uh, you know, the cart in front of the horse, (laughs) so they're giving Israel everything, and then now that's going to leave no negotiation power to the Palestinians or the
0: Palestinian Authority. Exactly. It continues to weaken what the weak hand that Palestinians had anyways, Jamal. I mean, the hand under the Trump administration that Palestinians had had never been weaker. The... And, you know, and we'll talk about this later yeah. in terms of the PA and the PLO have never been weaker. This weakens it further. I do want to add one quick thing before we transition to our next topic is that it was interesting that, um, there seems to be a little conflict in the house of Saud because even though they're, they're trying to get as many people to normalize relations with the Israelis, I think what uh, was it? I don't know who it was, Jamal. It was one of the princes in Saudi Arabia, one of the high princes, came out being very critical of of the Israelis at a meeting in the Gulf recently. So MBS's and uh you know, plan to and Kushner's plan to kind of normalize the big because the big prize, Jamal, the low ha- the big prize for Kushner at all is really normalizing relations with Saudi Arabia. That's and right. so there there seems to be some uh tension within the House of Saud right now. That's right. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco,
1: 89.5 FM. I want to shift gears here a little bit. We're staying, actually, we're going to keep talking about Palestine and Israel for the entire show. You know, here we go again. 13-year-old Ali Abu Ali succumbed to his wounds just a few days ago. Tragic. After he was shot uh, with live rounds in the stomach just yes, by Israeli police north of uh, Ramallah, and uh, he's a teenager, young teenager, he was involved in a weekly peaceful protest uh, against illegal Israeli settlements at El Mughayir uh, village near uh, Ramallah. Right. And as you recall, in May this year, Israeli police also shot dead an autistic. Palestinian young man in Jerusalem's old city. So Israel continues to target Palestinian children and youth unabated. I mean, I mean here we're talking about, this is a distraction, we're talking about the normalization with Morocco and no mention about this- Nothing. Cold-blooded murder of a 13-year-old boy. I mean, imagine if this happened to an Israeli or any, anyone around the world, there'll be an outcry and in the case of uh, the autistic young man in Jerusalem, uh, they basically slapped the policeman on the wrist and said, oh, oops, it's a mistake.
0: Well, you know, Jamal, we, we, we have to face this really painful reality uh, as we kind of negotiate the transition away from the Trump diplomatic Trump Kushner diplomatic efforts, and you know we alluded to this before in terms of n- at no time since the Oslo agreements has the Palestinian Authority and Palestinian political infrastructure uh, been any weaker on the international stage, uh, on the local stage in terms of other Arab countries and uh, 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 and with the United States. I mean, basically, and. We could say this literally, literally and figuratively. The United States allows Israel to get away with murder. They they allow Israel to get away with murder literally by killing, murdering Palestinian children, and figuratively they let Israel get away with murder by moving the embassy, by doing all these things, continuing to steal Palestinian land without accountability and without any consequences. To me, this killing of this, this assassination and murder of this young man really puts, sets the table, even though we know this is, you know, Biden's general idea is not to change anything. It'll be interesting to see how much the Biden administration allows the Israelis to get away with in the context of getting away with murder for the last four years. I mean, I mean, I would take it even further than this, just because
1: not only the US uh, administrations allowing Israel to get away with this the media also in the US allowing Israel you know giving Israel a uh, basically a free hand pass. and right. a pass in in doing these and also to a certain extent the EU because I was like trying to look to see what happened uh, when this uh, occurred because you know the EU has a representation right in Jerusalem they have an office right Right, and they just said, "Oh, we're gonna investigate this. This is this should be investigated." This was their kind of the strongest statement, saying that it should be investigated. Outside NGOs and human rights organizations, which called this as a as it should be a, uh, a war crime. Yes, the EU said, "Oh, this should be investigated." I mean, this is the extent. And it means nothing, Jamal. Means we, nothing. we know that it means so, nothing. So, so the EU's representative in uh, Jerusalem, you know, EU's representative to Palestine, basically that's all. That's the statement that was issued on behalf of the EU. The United Nations is basically in Palestine is non-existent now because of uh, the UNRWA. Actually, has been shutting down its offices because they don't have money. Right. And, and of course, you know, on top of this, we could add the, 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 the big urgency around the globe, which is the pandemic. So when you kill a Palestinian here and there, a, a Palestinian boy, and you said Israel always takes advantages either with the, the last weeks of a, a, an outgoing administration or now be it the pandemic, which, by the way, Israel has secured... It's allotment of Pfizer vaccines, Of course, of course. And others. More than the United States. Zero for the Palestinians. Of course. So they've ordered just enough for Israeli citizens, even though Israel controls the land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. So they they basically are in the West Bank. They're going to give, they have enough vaccines for their settlers in the West Bank but not but the not palestinians enough. i mean think about this absurd and crazy mentality
0: well it's not even absurd and crazy it's morally bankrupt it's 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 a it's a particular kind of war crime that they've been committing in gaza too jamal which is never to allow enough medical supplies medications treatment to really protect a community and But the thing that's really stupid about this, if they don't vaccinate Palestinians and if Palestinians go unvaccinated, it's not as if that's not going to have a a significant negative impact on the settlers and the Israelis also, because, you know, the virus doesn't know about the wall and the virus doesn't know about uh, checkpoints and it will continue to wreak havoc among Israelis and Israeli settlers. So. Even though it's a cruel and immoral move on the part of the Israeli Ministry of Health, it will backfire ultimately on all Israelis. It's
1: totally immoral. I mean, uh, and, and it's in line uh, with
0: Israel's
1: colonial idea of they are only interested in the land, but not the population. Just grab right. the land. I mean, here they are. They have transferred 800,000 settlers, basically, now. seven to 800,000 settlers have been transferred into the West Bank, which has a population of 2.8 million Palestinians. Right, right. And they're going to only have enough 800,000, basically, doses just for the settlers, but not for the Palestinians. I mean, who are, in most cases, are five kilometers apart. In certain cases, three kilometers apart. That's right. And they're just you know, going right. I mean I mean we're talking about apartheid in its fullest. This is I think new to apartheid because we've talked in the past about apartheid using separate roads, separate laws, but now even when it comes to the vaccine, <laughs> they are basically not giving vaccine to the Palestinians.
0: Yeah, and that, that kind of immorality speaks to the immorality of the Israeli healthcare system. The doctors who are complicit, the Israeli doctors who are complicit with a system that denies Palestinians equal access to health care, and you know the Palestinians most certainly are going to die from not being vaccinated from this, that that's going that's also a direct result of the Israeli immorality and complicity in this. But as I said, Jamal, you know, the virus doesn't care about checkpoints. The virus doesn't care about apartheid practices. It, doesn't it will distinguish
1: between people.
0: It's gonna, you know, and, and the Israelis, um, despite their immorality, will, this virus will continue to haunt them if they continue down this, this path. So, talking about
1: racism, because that's basically racism, you know, to simplify it. Yeah. We've talked in the past about the most racist team, soccer team, or at the right. rest of the world, we'll call it football team, right. in the world. It's, it's an Israeli team. Unfortunately, it's in my hometown of Jerusalem.
0: <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> it's called the Bitar Jerusalem. This is the most racist team acknowledged by the. Uh, FIFA by all soccer lovers around the oh, world Oh but
0: they're they're booed every time and, they go and That's anywhere. when they go
1: outside. So this team uh, I mean this is the absurdity and this will bring us back to normalization, right? So this is a a football team not only the team is racist, but all its fans are racist. You won't see Palestinians going to the stadium. It's mostly Meir Kahana followers. That's right. Uh, you know, really ultra ultra Fascist right followers who go there, and and they go into a frenzy, uh, basically um, chanting "death to Arabs," screaming epithets such as uh, "a terrorist" um, when there is an Arab, because you know the uh, Israeli uh, football t- teams around soccer teams around the country uh, have a lot of Arab uh, players. In fact, uh, the team Sakhnin in the in the in the Palestinian village of Sakhnin, won the Israeli national championship.
0: That's right. So That's they
1: right. so they get a lot of their good players, and so when another player, let's say, uh, playing on Maccabi Tel Aviv or or another uh, Israeli uh, football team, plays in Jerusalem, and if there is an Arab, they start chanting "terrorist, death to the Arabs." That actually, a few years ago. Uh, Bittar, uh, Jerusalem, um, they basically purchased the contract of two Muslim players from Chesnya because, you know, they also got uh, foreign players in 2013, and the fans went berserk, throwing things at them, attacking them, spitting at them. It was, they made their lives miserable because they say that their, their, their slogan is forever pure. I'm translating from Hebrew. That's their slogan for them. They want just a pure Jewish team, Jewish players, everything there, forever pure. So these poor players, I forgot their names, they basically moved on some, somewhere else. They couldn't stand it. They had a contract. They had to kind of like walk away from, from their contract, right? So uh, fast forward to the year 2020 and oh to the God. normalization here comes Sheikh Hamad bin Khalifa al-Nahyan. You know who is Sheikh Hamad bin Khalifa al-Nahyan, just who he is?
0: Yeah, he's, he's one of the uh, Emirati uh, princes, isn't he? He's one of the top. He's one of the richest of the Emirati uh, princes, isn't he? He is the cousin of Muhammad bin Zayed,
1: the right. crown prince. And the de facto ruler of the United Arab Emirates. So it cannot get any higher than that. He's, he's right. from the royal family. He's not a brother. He's not a brother, but he's a very close cousin. They have a lot of cousins. They're sheikhs. They call them sheikh there instead of a prince, but it's almost like the title of a prince. has a lot of money. And guess what did he do? He purchased 50% stake at, uh, of this team. He's now a partner in the most racist team in the world. That hates Arabs.
0: So let's get this straight, Jamal. An Arab bought a team, half of a team, that hates Arabs. Yep. So what does that make the Sheikh, who is now fully supporting up to 50% of his his, uh, oil wealth, to support a racist team that hates the very people that he is? That's a kind of psychological uh, state, which is hard to explain uh, that. I mean, it goes way beyond any kind of kind of normalization. It's a psychological uh, twist of this Sheikh's mind that he feels fine about making an investment in a team that basically hates who he is. Yeah, and this is, I would say, this is part of the absurdity of the normalization. I
1: mean, we understand now there is normalization between Israel and the UAE. They have uh, flights, uh, you know, between uh, the UAE and and Tel Aviv, uh, Emirates Airlines flying or its subsidiary flying into Tel Aviv. And so El Al is also flying there and all these things uh, happening but uh, and and if you want to make an investment i mean this is kind of the crazy thing i try to understand the logic if you want to make an investment i mean why do you pick an investment that represents basically racism i mean is this a message they're trying to say well we're going to normalize like is he is he that crazy to think yes yes by purchasing 50% of the team now people there, who I've actually encountered these people who hate Palestinians, who are racist. I mean, they're basically the Ku Klux Klan of Israel, you know, and that's well, not I have an thi- exaggeration. I, I, I have a theory. I have a theory. They're going to change their mind now?
0: No, I have a theory. My theory is that, again, as with a lot of these sheikhs and a lot of these, uh, you know, normalizationists, They have this delusional fantasy that if they do this special thing with the Israelis, the Israelis will embrace them and establish more business relationships with them. So it may be that the sheikh has the same delusion that King Abdullah had, that uh, General Sisi has, that the King of Morocco has, that MBS may have this delusion somehow that if they do these deals and normalize relations with the Israelis, that good things economically will happen to them. I have breaking news for all of them, Jamal. The Israelis don't care about them. They will throw them under the bus, take their money and throw them under the bus as... As quickly as they can, and I think we have to understand when we say normalization jamal, and this is an important point it 's really not normalization between peoples of these countries or these uh, or the um, it 's not the people of the emirates or the the people in Saudi Arabia or the people in Jordan never have fond feelings toward these racist oppressors it 's really the top echelon. It's the kings, it's the sheikhs, it's the princes, it's the presidents. Because on the ground, Jamal, and you know this as well as anybody, this never flies with people on the ground. No, it doesn't fly with people on on the
1: ground. And I said, this is part of the absurdity of doing something like this, thinking that, oh, uh, maybe this delusion, if we purchase a racist team, a team that both its players, uh, its ownership, its fans, hate Arabs, we can change their mind. And Muslims, yeah, Mr. and Muslims. That we, that we can change their mind. I mean, I don't know who's their business advisors, who's their psychological advisors, <laughs> but they we know better, we Palestinians have lived there long enough to know that you cannot change these type of people's minds. Just the same that we're seeing the remnants of racism in the United States from people who have been waving for years the confederacy flag and so forth, that this kind of concept of superiority uh, uh, continued. And so now I, it, it kind of got me thinking, and this is one thing that um, I don't have the answer for, Just is now we can break down all these countries that uh, Trump uh, and uh, company uh, have managed to... Um, turn and have them basically accept these agreements and what are the uh, incentives the UAE the big incentive was what getting the planes right getting the advanced right. uh, F35s
0: but that was killed this week by the uh, well, congress
1: well here is I'm trying to look at this and then this whole idea when the prince came to uh, the White House and, and said that, oh, we're doing it because we care about the Palestinians and we're going to manage to stop the annexation. <laughs> that was all a farce because Israel and Netanyahu has not have not stopped anything. No, so they've accelerated. they continue the accelerated things. And so I don't know about the plans, but at least we know, sign the peace agreement, you get the most advanced plans the United States has to offer. Okay.
0: Well, let me, I'm sorry, there's a correction to what I said. The, even though the Congress voted against it, the Senate overturned that and is they're preparing to s- send the planes to the UAE, by the way, still, Jamal, there's still some... Okay,
1: well, th- well, we don't know. I mean, but at least there was an incentive and we know the real incentive. That's right. the real incentive. It's not like, oh, I feel bad for the Palestinians. I want to help them out. At least say, come out and say, that's why we did it. Yeah. Morocco, we know the incentive. I mean, uh, the king and his father before him for years they have been dealing with the Western Sahara issue. the unsuccessful in many cases. Um, they off- offer them uh, autonomy, and the uh, people from the Western Sahara they want independence, right? So now you have the United States to st- giving him the big stamp of approval. The like again, the most powerful country in the world giving him. That's how what he believes. What happened in Israel? He's emulating what the Israelis have done in the West Bank and right. in, uh, in the Golan Heights. So we we understand we understand that uh, incentive. Sudan Sudan is a failed state, and Sudan is on the brinks of bankruptcy, and also they are have these uh, sanctions, basically, that just killed, killed the country. And also, a lot of its leadership still, even though after the departure of uh, the former president, they are uh, wanted uh, for war crimes and different things. So now, uh, the incentive was like, recognize Israel. And now you can come back to the bosom <laughs> of the international community and you can come and fly and sleep maybe at, uh, in the Lincoln bedroom at the White House. So this is how that's the incentive, right? So, so we know now what Sudan and Sudan, I tell you, probably if anyone had a more serious incentive than anyone, it's Sudan because right. they're on the brink of starvation and nothing. So they need money. They need recognition. They need people to, uh, to allow them to trade. They have tons of like back-breaking sanctions. The one I don't understand is Bahrain. <laughs> That's where I'm coming. Bahrain, I have yet to find an incentive besides protection. But the United States gives protection to all these sheikhs and princes and kings throughout the Gulf. I mean, the United States needs Bahrain probably more than Bahrain needs the United States in a way as far as strategic and as far as giving it protection. But I haven't seen an incentive. What are they getting out of it?
0: Yeah, that's a good question, Joel, I was like, thinking
1: maybe what,
0: what they're going to get out of it. They're going to put a Disneyland in Bahrain? No, maybe. I, I mean, you know, the United States does have a lot of um, operatives, intelligence operatives in Bahrain. They have a base in Bahrain. Yeah, so, but they
1: they also do have that in Qatar, they have it in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I
0: think, just, I, mean, I think it's just I think it's I actually think it's just part of this political move in terms of branding and in terms of marketing, the Kushner Trump Netanyahu idea of you know, normalization, they don't care about the country. They care about the number of countries. So they, could, they can point to, oh, we have five countries now. We have Bahrain, we have UAE, we have Morocco, we have Jordan, we have Egypt. So it's, it's part of a, uh, most likely it's part of this, this kind of keeping score of how many, you know, that's on the how United many
1: side, but for Bahrain itself, Bahrain, ah. that's what I'm talking about. Even when you talk about the Camp David Accords and the, uh, the uh, Egyptian-Israeli uh, uh, peace deal, Egypt got a lot of money. Israel got billions. a lot of money. Jordan yeah. got a lot of money. So it was like a lot of money. They got billions and billions. Uh, because I'm not of, sure and, what Bahrain's going to get out of and this. And that's what I say. I don't see what Bahrain... What's the rush in into doing this, inclu- uh, especially since the population is against it? I mean, if any country had more demonstrations and have been monitor- monitoring its press and people
0: and its dissidents, they are really against this deal. It's interesting that you bring that up, Jamal, because Bahrain has been really vilified in Europe because of the oppression that the uh, uh, the royal family has been, you know, Conducting against its uh, its population and its citizens, you know there's a big race that occurs in Bahrain every year, an F1 Formula One race and uh, it's routinely um, cr- criticized throughout Europe that uh, the F the Formula One group decides to race in Bahrain when so many uh, human rights atrocities are occurring. I think and, it's a great
1: and, and and Bahrain was one of the countries in the so-called Arab Spring right where people were looking uh, for a regime change and Absolutely. if it wasn't for the interference of Saudi Arabia the king uh, wouldn't be there in Bahrain I mean Bahrain uh, was on the brink of collapse uh, and then Saudi Arabia had to send military troops and troops to protect the king and uh, because of its treatment well, of the Shiite population there, and inequity in the country, maybe the Israelis have some dirt on the on the king. No, that's what I'm saying. The, the, the only thing I see, I mean, the protection. Well, he gets the protection from the United States and from Saudi Arabia. I mean, that's that's kind of he's an extension of Saudi Arabia. But Unless he's being squeezed by MBS. That's the, that's the only thing I, I feel like maybe he's being squeezed. Uh, it's kind of an experiment. They want to make sure they have more countries in the Gulf because uh, uh, Kuwait adamantly rejects any kind of uh, normalization. Qatar rejected normalization, although I'm suspicious now since uh, uh, as of recently, Qatar is normalizing its relationship with Saudi Arabia. Because, you know, they had before issues and now... Anyway, we'll keep an eye on this. Our last uh, story, uh, Jess, is the resignation of the prominent Palestinian politician Hanan Ashrawi, uh, who has uh, yesterday really uh, confirmed her resignation from the executive committee of the Palestine Liberation Organization, the PLO, After it's she's been news. there for more than a, a decade, and and it kind of happened in a in a in a in a weird way. Just in 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 essence, uh, we weren't supposed to know about this resignation. She she's met with uh, President Mahmoud Abbas and sent a letter of resignation, and, and the deal between them that she'll announce it towards the end of uh, the year, like she'll finish her term. And then someone leaked it. Interesting. Uh, That's why she was very upset. That's why she tweeted a whole uh, letter out explaining her resignation. And uh, initially, uh, which I'm actually a believer uh, in this, or I think that might be the case. I don't know all the details. But she was uh, pretty upset uh, about the... uh, Uh, The normalization that's going in the security coordination now between the Palestinian Authority and the Israelis. It's back on the table. Yeah, after they said, this is it, we learned our lesson, we're severing all ties with Israel, blah, blah, blah. And here we go again. They got nothing. By by the way, there is nothing. Nothing. Israel has not withdrawn an inch from the West Bank.
0: Nor have they gotten their tax. Have the no, Palestinians they actually gotten got their- a payment recently? recently oh, so maybe that that's it.
1: And then they say they've returned to uh, security coordination, and all of a sudden they they're now back to security coordination. And some people who leaked this memo, uh, the resignation said that kind of was the last straw that broke the camel's back with her. We don't know. She denied it. She said, no, no. In her statement, and I'm reading, she said that, uh, here are some excerpts. Uh, The Palestinian political system needs renewal and reinvigoration with the inclusion of youth, uh, women, and additional qualified professionals. It's incumbent upon us all to assume our individual responsibilities and to carry out our duties with honesty and integrity, including by facilitating
0: this needed change. It's a non-statement, Jamal. Doesn't say anything.
1: So it's I don't a know, non-statement. Mo- a lot of people say that was kind of what kind of pushed her uh, over yeah,
0: it the edge. Yeah, makes sense. But we we have to keep in mind, in terms of the history of Palestinian politics post Oslo. Hanan Ashrawi really is someone who historically was able to make the bridge between Palestine and the West. You know, she uh, routinely was on television, being interviewed. She is extremely smart, very articulate. I think she's trilingual um, and really well represented, at least to the Western and English-speaking communities of the West she was one person who could clearly speak and speak well on behalf of Palestinians. And it's, it's really a shame that she had to go out in this way. And it's, you know, for, these, for the Palestinians to reestablish security coordination is beyond insulting and disrespectful, not just to Hanan, but to every single Palestinian. So, you know, it kind of makes sense to me that, you know, after all these years of disrespect, she had to say no. Well,
1: I mean, here is the thing: the only thing that I keep in the back of my mind just is uh, that uh, this could be temporary, because I've seen this play uh, right. in the right. past. This this right. kind of uh, uh, her partner, basically at the PLO, the the late Saabarakat, you know, you know passed away uh, recently. He must have resigned half a dozen times. Right. That idol of if not more. Right. Every time he got upset with uh, Abu Mazen, he he resigned, or they didn't like something, he resigned, and then they, a couple of weeks later, a month later, he he kind of uh, resurfaced like nothing had happened. Right. So I have to wait Maybe? and see. I Maybe. have to wait and see if this is also like something, yeah, they said that Mahmoud Abbas accepted her resignation. and But I have to say, I have to wait and see like at least a month or two to see if she won't resurface in another capacity. And that's in a way, uh, I'm not taking away things from her, but that's the kind of the sad um, status of the Palestinian leadership is this continuous Back door. I mean, sorry, revolving door, and and you don't have and back door and 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 you don't have that change (laughs) of the guards. It's like reshuffling the same people, people who don't kind of, you know, want to move move out uh, from from their office. That she's been there, even though, I mean, to me, if she has an issue with what's happening on the ground with the Oslo that she's basically one of the early teams, I mean, one of the architects of right. Oslo. She must have seen the writing on the wall for right. many, many years, all the failures, right. all the lack of any kind of uh, advancements um, and deterioration of the Palestinian situation, no election uh, going on there, and the settlements growing that she should have thrown the towel probably earlier. and said.
0: But, uh, yeah, and I think uh, to, to Hanan's credit, Jamal, I mean, yeah, she's politically has some, there's some stains, obviously, in terms of her work on the Oslo agreement. But I think her attitude has been like many Palestinians when they face these crises, political and maybe ethical crises, they ultimately decide or they have to decide, is it better to resign and not be associated at all? Or is it better to at least have a seat at the table? And I think historically for Hanan, she's tended to be on the side of, it's better at least that I have a seat at the table to express myself rather than, you know, not. But, you know, I think your analysis is spot on. Who knows? Maybe we'll see something different because, you know, you never know what's going to happen in Palestine. Hey, we only have, I think, a few minutes, Jamal. Uh, I wanted to just let people know about the COVID pandemic, just a couple of things to our listeners and our viewers, especially those who pay attention in the United States. You need to know that the hype about the vaccine, you need to be very careful. Unfortunately, the Trump administration turned down an opportunity to buy 100 million more doses of the Pfizer vaccine. And now it looks like there will not be enough vaccine to inoculate and to vaccinate all americans by by the it, it probably won't even happen till the end of the second or third quarter of 2021 jamal so ongoing catastrophic failures when it comes to the trump administration handling of the pandemic but what it means for you and you and me and our in our communities and, and, and in California and the rest of this country, it means that we're in for a tough next six to eight months.
1: Well, yeah, that's, that's terrible. Uh, even though they claim that they have purchased from others like Moderna and...
0: They're not ready. No, they're, they're not ready.
1: So they, and they're, yeah. not
0: a, they're not approved. They're not ready. And remember, to inoculate 300 million people, you need 600 million doses because there's only one vaccine that is one dose, and that's the Johnson and Johnson. That's not close yet. All the others are double dose. So to think that we're gonna get 640 million doses uh, anytime soon is is delusional. So Uh, it, it looks like it's gonna take up to the, probably the end of the summer right i would say the end of the summer and then we have the second issue jamal where they did polling and they they think that about 50 to 55% of americans are not even trusting of a vaccine to take it and just to let our listeners and viewers know in order for the vaccine to be effective to get the so-called herd immunity you need about 75 to 80% of people to take the vaccine both doses so there's a lot of things still happening that are really. Well, they have prob- to pass a law. Basically,
1: uh, I don't think you have the option uh, when you send your kids to school. Uh, just uh, if your kid is not uh, uh, vaccinated, let's say you
0: can get, for, you can get, no, you can get, you can get, no, you can, you can get the religious exemption still. You still can't do that because yeah, you I, still I can send, I
1: sent my kid to school. I mean, this has been many, many years ago. You know, look at all the gray hair, right? So I, I can't remember all the details, but I knew that we had to provide all his vaccination shots before he got okay. That's uh, private was allowed school. Allowed to attend private, the, yeah, private know. schools. No, private no, no, school. no, no, no. That was public. That really? Was, okay, that was public it, school. So you have to come up with to
0: show that you have all, unless you have valid, a doctor, unless you have a doctor's note, or you have a religious exemption. Well, but, I didn't know that. I didn't know that yeah, part. But but here's the problem: the it, if people don't take the vaccine, we're we're going to be in the midst of the pandemic for a very long time, Jamal. That's well, the real
1: issue. Well, uh, we're coming to another end of Arab Talk. Uh, make sure to go to our website, ArabTalkRadio.com, to, upload the, uh, to download the latest episodes. And make sure you wear your mask. Wear your mask. Please. And uh, we're here for kind of a rough ride for the next are, few but, months. So, but, so uh, not, talk, we but. But Arab Talk will continue. We haven't reached the promised land
0: yet. No, and we're not going to do it soon, but we'll remain committed to our viewers and our listeners, Jamal. And, uh, you know, we'll see you all next week. See you next week.